Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce, the podcast that's here to explore the role of robotic process automation and other digital technologies. Whether you're just getting started or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, if you're curious about where human and digital workers are coming together to transform the future of work, then this podcast is for you. All right, let's get into the show. Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce. I'm your host for today's episode, Elsie Cook, Vice President of Blue Prism's Public Sector Team. I'm joined today by Anna Toomey, a subject matter expert in both public and private healthcare for Blue Prism, and Deb Rossi, a sales director for Blue Prism's state and local market. How are you ladies doing today? Great. I'm good. Awesome. It's great to have you on the show. Today, we'll be talking about the challenge states are addressing under the growing pressure and backlog of processing Medicaid claims as a result of COVID-19. But before we begin, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are, your role, your background here at Blue Prism? Deb, I'll start with you first. Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm Deb Rossi, and I've spent the majority of my career working for technology companies and working with the public sector. I've always enjoyed working with state and local government agencies, and my focus has always been the same, provide solutions and services that free up time and resources. I joined Blue Prism a little over a year ago, and that move has allowed me to do the most meaningful work yet. And in all my experience working with public sector, I've never worked with an agency that didn't have enough to do. So helping agencies (laughs) develop solutions with our RPA technology is my dream job. Basically, we're speeding up the delivery of government services and improving the citizens' experience by getting them what they need when they need it. And I'm excited to be here today, Elsie, to share a little bit about how we do that. Yeah, there's truly some honor in in serving those that serve the rest of the country, for sure. Anna, how about you? Yes, I'm Anna Toomey, and in this role, I am the subject matter expert for public and private health care. My degree is in IT, and I've spent a lifetime, some would say, in serving U.S. and international healthcare providers, both in public and private sector, with integration and intelligent analytics solutions, including now the use of robotic process automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and more, as well as business intelligence and data management. I've worked with some of the greatest technology scientists and clinicians in public and private sector. It's an exciting life, working there since 1995. My first career start, I guess, into the public sector was working with Foundation Health Federal Services on the Champa side. So if that tells you a little bit how far back that was, uh, working with both Champa's and um, TRICARE. And then, you know, as time progresses and we move forward a little bit, working with a lot of the epidemiologists and uh, syndromic surveillance at the city of Houston post 9-11 with bioterrorism surveillance and then building with the states. I've gone from multiple states helping to build health information exchanges all across the country. So it's a pleasure to be at home here in Blue Prism, and I'm enjoying every minute that we spend helping states and local governments move forward during this time of crisis. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you so much, ladies. So let's dive into our topic. Since the outbreak of COVID-19 several months ago, countless state and local agencies are bending under men pressure to serve their constituents. 
most notably as a surge in Medicaid claims following a drastic uptick in unemployment across America. States are struggling to keep up with this influx of claims as they try to address backlogs caused by antiquated back-end systems. It truly seems to be a vicious cycle to verify an applicant's eligibility to meet those federal guidelines for claims processing. There is hope, however. In this podcast, we're going to explore how technology can help break the backlog and improve claims response and approval time from weeks or months to really, truly hours or days. So as mentioned, we're seeing that surge of Medicaid claims coming in for nearly every state. Deb, why do you think this is happening now? Well, I'll say there's several reasons for that. As we know, in March, as the states locked down and many folks lost their jobs, there was an unprecedented increase in people filing for unemployment. And in addition to having to worry about how to pay bills and put food on the table, People also had to worry about health care for themselves and their families. So after filing for unemployment, the follow-on step for folks was to enroll in Medicaid to ensure that they'd be protected in this health crisis. That resulted in enormous increases in enrollment. And more Medicaid recipients impacts the provider network. There just weren't enough Medicaid providers. In order to care for the increase in patients, doctors and hospitals who weren't previously certified Medicaid providers needed to enroll and get certified. So now you have a surge in enrollments for folks who need Medicaid benefits and a surge of enrollments of new healthcare providers. And the result of that in the middle of a pandemic is an enormous upsurge in claims. No doubt. Anna, what do you think? Well, you know, there's on the technology side as well, a lot of different changes that had to be executed in order to make claims even a probable solution for this time of crisis. And part of that was that CMS had to develop, roll out, and implement new um, ICD-10 codes that were COVID-specific. So there were 10 new codes added to CMS that no one else had ever used for claims processing that would direct the actual claim to a claims processing channel for CARES capability of processing the claim. Instead, Many times, um, early, especially early on, whenever a patient was seen, they were actually, their claim would get coded as though they were a normal patient, and it would go into the Medicaid system to exhaust the funds that were within Medicaid. And if the patient wasn't there because of enrollment, the provider wasn't there because of enrollment, the claim wasn't properly coded with the new COVID ICD-10s, then there was no way to indicate where that actual claim needed to be processed from. So all of that was coming back as patient responsibility to the provider. And then, and many times would get billed out to the patient. So not only were they affected by the illness, had to go in for testing or maybe even hospitalized, but at the same time, they were getting billed whenever they got home, you know, with these large hospital bills that were supposed to be taken care of by the first passing of the CARES Act that we had back in March or April, early April, I think it was. So you can see the the general congestion that was going on that resulted in this five-mile-high claims backlog. Yeah, you know, so I'm hearing increased provider visits. I'm hearing increased unemployment. I'm hearing some of these back-end mistakes or, or errors because of, you know, these increased provider enrollments. What is the single largest trend you're seeing in states as they move through this Medicaid challenge? I'd say it was increased denials. Let's set the stage. In mid-April, as Anna was saying, 
$30 billion in relief funding was released to Medicare and Medicaid providers as a result of the CARES Act. Now, it was important to deliver those funds in a fast and fair and transparent way. So the first immediate relief funds went to hospitals and providers that were already enrolled in Medicare. Unfortunately, as we mentioned before, there just aren't enough providers that were already enrolled to meet the needs of the influx of crisis patients. So lots of new providers were being enrolled. The new providers didn't receive any of the initial round of CARES Acts. So they were highly motivated to file claims quickly. In addition to that, you have a lot more patients who are receiving Medicaid benefits. By and large, both of these groups don't have the familiarity with the Medicaid system, much less the claims filing process. Add to that a bunch of new codes that everyone has to deal with, and you've got a situation where errors are just going to occur. This whole set of cascading consequences resulted in an extraordinary number of denied claims. Right. Anna, what do you think? And, you know, I would pick up from that point and say that claims being denied put a whole different responsibility on the patient themselves and on the provider as well. So in many times, the providers had to do a workaround and say, well, you know, I'm not getting the CARES Act funding that I was supposed to get to pay for the testing kits or for the treatment, and you're not getting your claims paid. So we're going to have to go to patient responsibility, or in some cases, they, or many cases, they did go to patient responsibility and either, you know, employers or patients themselves were having to pick up that cost. And then that resulted in them saying, if you go ahead and, you know, pay for your claim now, we'll give you this uh, form 1500, which is a handheld form that the patients would have to fill out and submit directly to the states. Now that, that poses a problem for the states to have this large backlog of mail-in handwritten claims in the hopes that eventually enrollment would catch up and provider enrollment and both patient enrollment would catch up with the system. One strange thing that was happening is many times because they had initiated a, a status with Medicaid, there might be an automation process in the beginning that would say, okay, we know this patient needs to be seen. And so therefore we're going to go ahead and put their eligibility information in up front, but the entire claims enrollment process had not been completed. So at the provider level, whenever we would do an eligibility check, the eligibility would go through and come back and say, yes, they're eligible for services. Let's go ahead and perform services on this patient. But then we submit the claim and the patient wasn't really there. So consequently, we have a lot of 1500s built up at each state that have to be processed either independently by scanning them in or, you know, an influx of different issues that were caused by actual snail mail in claims adjudication. Right. It, it almost seems like the the perfect storm, you know, between the state trying to navigate through the CARES Act and, and then the patient actually having more responsibility in getting their claims paid. I can see just a, a complete mess, as it were. How are states responding to this? Well, one way states are responding is with personnel. They're bringing over people from other departments, other agencies. They're even hiring brand new people anything to help keep up with the workload. There's a huge need to facilitate the processes which are going to enable the provision of services for the citizens. States are looking for people who can help with patient enrollment, provider enrollment, and help with all of the coding involved with getting the claims processed. Of course, onboarding new employees brings on a whole nother set of circumstances. New employees need to be trained, they need to be provisioned with the tools to do their job, and as they learn, they're gonna make mistakes. 
states are doing the best they can. However, staffing up quickly in the middle of a crisis is not easy. You know, Deb, this is absolutely true. And so another way that some of the states have been able to address this issue is by applying new technologies. As you mentioned before, just the HR process alone of bringing a new coder on board or having coders that were working from home that had not been familiar with doing Medicaid claims and a whole new set of ICD-10 codes that had not been familiar to them or been in any of the systems brought about HR issues as well. But with the use of RPA and digital workers, some of the states were able to start using non-human workers to do the mundane human tasks of processing claims and making sure that they were appropriately coded. And if so, then sending them through the proper CARES Act channels in order for them to be paid and adjudicated. And that's what we've seen is that it, it either comes down to adding more bodies or adding more digital bodies. But the ability to add the dig a digital body means that you don't have to go through that constant uh, training process. You don't have to onboard them through an onboarding system and make sure that they're getting paid appropriately. You don't have to, you know, all of those different things that are involved by the human workers are that stress level is lifted, as well as the fact that they never take breaks and they continue to process 24-7, which is just not humanly possible. So the stress has been relieved for some of the states that we've seen um, whenever they were able to deploy this type of technology. So let's dig a little deeper into that. You know, we're talking a little bit about how states are are leveraging technology to meet the demand of, of the influx of Medicaid claims. How do you see technology really helping during this crisis and even beyond this? Deb? Well, that's what I love about my job, Elsie. With Blue Prism's connected RPA technology, we truly can help. Some folks refer to RPA as bots. And as Anna pointed out, we call them digital workers or digital assistants. They're a digital workforce. Essentially, a digital workforce can supplement and assist human workers. Blue Prism digital workers can be developed and they can carry out work autonomously. And like Anna said, they can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they don't eat, they don't get sick, they don't make mistakes. In fact, a backlog of repetitive processes like we're seeing now is the perfect job for a digital worker. Imagine for a second the pressure agency workers are under right now. Their typical daily workload has increased exponentially. The importance of getting these claims processed for people is enormous. By leveraging robotic process automation, by leveraging a digital workforce, agencies can help their staff and help the citizens by quickly knocking out a backlog and they're well positioned for the future and they're well positioned for you know, future crisis and the increased workload that's gonna be around for such a long time. Yeah, and Deb, you're not gonna see a digital worker catch this virus, that's for sure. Anna, what do you think? Well, you would be surprised, Elsie, because I do keep a mask on the computer next to me. But <laughs> just for the sake of uh, not joking around, we do put the digital workers into what we call a hyper mode. And so whenever you think about the claims adjudication process, for the most part, it takes maybe sometimes up to five or maybe even longer than that, 10 minutes 
to process one claim, especially if, if the claim has not been appropriately coded and, and it's running through uh, random system checks and checks and balances, if this, then that type thing, to make sure that the claim is properly coded with the, with the appropriate provider number on it, the appropriate patient number, and the appropriate ICD-10 code, and then going down the appropriate payment channel. With the use of a digital worker, that claims process capability is cut down to less than one minute. So um, within a minute, you know, you've cut down nine minutes at max or maybe even four minutes at minimum uh, amount of time that's used to process each one of those claims. We call this the hyper modes of claims processing. And this is continuously reusable. It's not just during the crisis because the only difference in continuing to process this way would be, you know, which channel do putting in one more uh, step in the process that says, if this is not a COVID claim, then it goes to the state Medicaid processing channel versus going to the COVID-related uh, processing channel. And and so this is supplies continuous reusable reusability and. Immediately, the digital worker is already trained on all of the CMS codes that they needed that you would have had to spend hours training new coders on um, at any other time. So onboarding becomes a breeze at that point. You know, you, you talk about putting more time in the hands of these, these people who are processing these claims. That's just an incredible benefit. But how quickly can technology turn this full trend around? Are there examples of, of how we've done this in other places? Well, I'll see. It's faster than you might think. We've seen instances where the number of people enrolled in a particular benefit program, like Medicaid, has doubled since COVID-19 crisis began. We've seen other situations where the backlog itself continued to grow, even as more human workers were added to health. We have one state that very early on reached out to double their digital workforce in advance before they were seeing an increase in, in claims, just in anticipation. By the time the surge hit, their digital workers were ready to go, and they handled the influx of the work right in stride. Look, each situation is unique, which makes it difficult to give a definitive answer as to how quickly the technology can be deployed, but you could be looking at weeks, and in some cases, days, for digital workers to be up and running. That's incredible. Anna, what about you? And, you know, Deb, one other thing that I might mention about that, and yes, we do see very rapid deployment of these digital workers easily, but one thing that we offer as a solution is also the ability to do it directly from a cloud processing perspective. So there's no additional technologies needed by each of the states um, if they choose to go with a cloud option. They don't have to worry about on-prem installs or, or supplying uh, equipment and personnel to support any new servers or anything like that because the digital workers can be made available via cloud and they just essentially sit there constantly processing until they get the job done. So that also speeds you to the deployment and it supplies a level of technology that is astounding without being an overkill or you know a, a deal killer for the IT staff that is already overtaxed during this time of surge and, and having to you know work offsite a lot and not be there present to monitor the systems that are on-prem. Right. I have to tell you, ladies, this has been such an incredible conversation. If anyone listening has follow-up questions or would just like to connect with you, What's the best way for them to find you? Well, Elsie, 
first, I want to thank the listeners for their time and attention and you for having me. And I can be reached by email. And that's deb.rossi at blueprism.com. And I'll look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. And I will tag on to that, Deb, and say that I appreciate the opportunity to be here with, with everyone today. And if anyone is listening, make sure that you're following all the guidelines. You're staying safe during this time of crisis. And if you have any questions and want to reach out to me, you can reach me at anna.toomey at blueprism.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Fantastic. Ladies, thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And to our audience, thank you so much for joining us today as well. We hope you enjoyed hearing from our experts, Anna Toomey and Deb Rossi, about ways the states can employ a digital workforce to help with the onslaught of Medicaid claims. Have a great day, stay safe, and we hope to see you again soon.